Well, good morning, Anthem. Uh, I'm Chris Kurtz. I'm the SALT director here for um, any new faces here or tuning in online um, for, for joining us this morning. I, um, I'm going to, we, we kind of had, a, between our Advent series, which was leading up to our Christmas special, going through Isaiah, and then we start John next week's actually, um, which we're super, I'm, I'm really excited about for the Anthem. Uh, we kind of had two free weeks, so Than Draghi, who's the associate director, um, he took last week, did a really great job, and, and for these two free weeks, what we kind of did was just, what's, our, what's some Bible verses that maybe our favorite, that have maybe just spoke to us um, over the past year, the past semester? So Than did Hosea, I think for him, that's just been kind of a life um, book, and he did a really great job of just walking through um, the correlation between us and, and Israel, and um, so Today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be walking us through Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Um, so the last probably two or three years, I kind of, I don't go into the year planning like, this is going to be my word or whatever, but I kind of get to the end of the year. It's like, okay, I think this is kind of what I learned, um, what the Lord showed me, what the Lord taught me. Um, 2020 was probably like love and, and vulnerability. Um, what does it look like to be vulnerable? What does it look like to step out and just love people? Um, this past year was for sure just humility. Uh, what does it look like to be a humble leader? So like humility horizontally between me, interpersonal relationships with others, and then what does humility look like before the Lord? Um, that was just kind of what, what God is, uh, I think it's going to be a lifelong journey, right, of continuing to figure out what that looks like. But this past year, that was huge for me. And, and the verses that have spoken to that more than anything were Isaiah 66, um, verses 1 and 2. But before we get into the verses... Um, to kind of set this up, when I was young, one of my favorite things to do over the summer, um, especially sometimes over breaks, my parents had a, a construction business, and so my dad would go on the road and, and build hog barns. And one of my favorite things was to tag along with my dad um, at, at, the, at the job sites. Um, I'd be like seven years old, running around, getting paid like $3 an hour, making the big bucks. I felt really good about that. Um, and, and what I would do uh, at that time a lot, he eventually would had me doing more, but a lot of carrying boards, getting water for the workers, getting on stilts and falling down and getting made fun of by the workers and all of this fun stuff. And so um, I would go to the job sites and I would be there for, for a few days and I would, you know, I would love it. Um, I was just with my dad on the job site, learning about construction. Um, so on the job site, the, there's the air compressors, right? So air compressors, they have hoses going out, and, and they, they go to nail guns. So the nail guns, are they're, they're putting the wood, wood together, um, framing, right? So he frames these barns, that's mainly what he does. So you have, you have, he has like 10 to 12 workers, and about nine of them probably have nail guns. The other ones are passing them boards. So each one of these nail guns is hooked to an air compressor. And um, there's probably like three air compressors. So if one of the air compressors is broken, you take out like a third of the workforce immediately. So the smart seven-year-old thing to do is to climb on the air compressors, right? And so there was an air compressor. I'm climbing on it. Um, I'm not very graceful. And so the air compressor tips over. I break the air compressor. And immediately I'm trying to like troubleshoot this thing and fix it. I'm seven. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm probably trying to like duct tape a vent closed or something. I don't know. So I'm, I'm trying to fix this. So I kind of go through the stages of like fix it. It's like, okay. Then I realize I, like, I'm incompetent and I cannot fix this air presser. So um, after that kind of comes like maybe like concealing and like suppressing. Like that didn't even happen, right? And so like maybe they're like, okay, what happened? Why are, why are nailers not working? They're coming over. I'm like standing in front of it and they're like, what's behind you? I'm like, nothing. 
Like, that thing's twice as big as you. I can see it. It's, it's not working. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's nothing, nothing wrong with this thing. It's working perfectly, right? So you kind of like suppress, like it didn't happen. Try to fix it. And then it's like, I'll just conceal this until the, the work day is over. And after that fails and it's blame shifting, it's like, Dad, okay, this broke. But it wasn't my fault. The sun got in my eye, right? You, you go through these different stages of blame shifting, suppressing. And here's the thing. The, the response that you have to those things what that says is, is what I think about my dad and, and what I think about my ability to fix those things. And so um, it, it says what, how I think he's going to respond to me in that. And, and it ends up, I'm helpless, right, to fix this thing. I can't do anything. So the only thing I can do is just write my dad a letter, say, hey, I'm sorry. So I went to town. My mom came to pick me up. Um, I went to town, got him... I don't know, like a little candy thing with my $2 an hour that I was making and, and got a card and I wrote on, like, I'm sorry, Dad. Like, I broke this. This is not okay. I'm, I'm really sorry. And I, the only thing I could do was that and just ask for his forgiveness. There was, there was nothing I could do to fix that air presser, to fix that situation, aside from just come to him and ask for our forgiveness. And, and, and that leads in Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. I love these verses. I'm just going to kind of distill them out. I'm going to read them for us. It says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hands have made and so all things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. What I want us to take away today is, is that God cares about the heart posture in our response. God cares about the heart posture. And so if you can take anything away from today, God cares about the heart posture and, and, and we're dealing with sin, dealing with things in our life, it would be asking these questions. What is my response right now saying about God? What is my response saying about the gospel? And what is my response saying about my ability to fix this situation or handle this situation? God cares about the heart posture. So verses 1 and 2, kind of the verse part, first part there. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? So to give some context here, this is, this is coming out of, if you guys remember from the Advent series, the, kind of the first part of Isaiah, chapters 1 through, through 39. They're just talking about judgment. Right, judgment of Israel, judgment of the nations. And then chapter 40 to 66, this is going to cap Isaiah. It's talking about hope. And, and, and within this hope, God, God is talking about his magnitude, his ability to bring that hope. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What is the house you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? 
All these things you see, everything you see, right now, this is to you as a whole, everything you see here in this room, every person you see in this room, everything contact with, what does God say? My hands has made. There is not one iota, one atom in this universe that has not been made by the hand of God. He says, I created it all, everything. And so all things came to be, declares the Lord. And, and he's talking to Israel here as well, who, who they had this, like, what they, what they thought was a material dwelling place for God. They had the temple and the tabernacle, and, and God's kind of humbling and say, what do you think you can actually build for me? What is, what is the place of my physical, how can I possibly have rest here on earth when I have created this all? This is my footstool. The heavens are my dwelling place. The stars, when you look out at night, are the dwelling place of God. So, so when you start to look at that magnitude, everything is created by God. That magnitude of a creator, what can you do? Right, what, what can we possibly bring to God? Right, we, we clearly can't create because he is creator of all. But we also, we're unfaithful. We can't build. We can't give things to God. We, we fail him. We're unfaithful towards him. Right? And, and we live in a world that says if you can't bring anything to the table, there will be no relationship here. Don't we? Like imagine this like with a friend or with a boss where you literally, you can bring nothing to them. There's going to be no relationship. Not hitting your numbers at work, you're out. Don't look a certain way, this isn't going to work. Don't do certain things for me. This isn't going to work. Don't think a certain way. Don't have certain ideological principles that you hold to. This is not going to work. This relationship isn't going to happen. That is the culture that we live in. You can't bring anything to the table for me. Therefore, why would I want connection with you? So what do we do with God then? Right? It's pretty easy to look around and see that. So then we have the actual real situation with God. Infinite creator, infinite being, vast magnitude. Does he operate the same way as culture? What can we possibly do to seek the one, seek a relationship with the one that we can bring absolutely nothing to? And this is where verse 2 comes in. But, right, he describes his magnitude, says, what house are you going to build for me? My hands have created it all, but this is the one to whom I look. I love this. This is to whom I look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This is to whom I will look. So he's saying, this is who is going to have hope with me in heaven. Isaiah 65, right before this passage, 
We see, for behold, I create a new heavens and new earth, and the former things shall be remembered or come into mind. Be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy for her people to be a gladness. That is the hope that we have. And he's saying, to whom I look has that hope. You'll dwell with me in the, in the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, new earth, and you have gladness and you have joy. I have created you for that. God is saying, I've created you for that. I've created you for joy. I've created you for gladness. I've created you to dwell with me. That is where your hope lies. So those to whom he looks have that hope. So how do we pursue that? And that's where he answers it with the, with the three words here, kind of the three attributes, heart postures. Those who are humble, contrite in spirit, and tremble at my word. So let's look, let's look at each one of those real quick. Humble. That's the first word. This is to whom I look, humble. Someone who is humble. And, and what this is, this is a, a posture of lowliness. Uh, Matthew 5, I think, verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they'll inherit the kingdom. And, and that's kind of the same word for humble here. It, it's realizing, like, I realize I have nothing I can bring to you. I'm, I am poor in spirit. I have nothing I can bring to you. And, and, and God, I realize that you're probably right on this one. And I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to follow you. Because I have nothing to truly offer you aside from myself and my heart. It's humbling yourself before God in this posture of lowliness. And, and it's not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking you're just this horrible person, but it's this realization of I can't bring anything to God. This realization of I can't bring anything to God. I am poor in spirit. That's what humility looks like, and therefore it defers to God's judgment on how we live. Contrite in heart. So the thing about this word here, contrite, this is the, the same word that's used in 2 Samuel 9.3 when it talks about Jonathan's son being crippled in his feet. And, and the reason this is interesting, it, it talks about him being disabled. So, so how do those two match up? How does contrite here and then disabled? But, but the spiritual meaning behind this, and I, it, uh, this is a quote from a commentary. It says, one who is aware of the damage wrought by by sin of personal inability to stand upright before God. You're aware of the sin, and because of that, you realize I have the, ability, the inability to stand upright and righteous before a holy God. I am unable. I cannot stand upright before the most perfect and holy and upright. And you feel that, and you're broken by it. There's a, there's a brokenness there. Psalm 51 talks about this as well. 
where David, King David, he, he sees Bathsheba, and he sleeps with her, and they conceive a child, right? Her husband Uriah comes back, and he has him sent to the front lines and, and killed. And so Psalm 51 is David's repentance there. And, and God says, the only thing I accept is a broken and contrite spirit. Within that, as David is lamenting over this, David is lamenting over his sin and his realization of, I did something so unrighteous and unholy. I slept with a married woman, and then I had her husband murdered. And then it says, this is all you accept, God, though, is broken and contrite heart. A heart that just realizes, of I cannot stand upright before an upright and holy God. That is what a contrite heart looks like. Humble, contrite, and then trembles at his word. And, and this just means it's just the sensitivity to the word of God. You, you read this and you're sensitive to, to what you see in here in a way that says, this, this is going to dictate my life. This is going to dictate how I live. It's a sensitivity to come under the authority and submission of the word of God. It's, a, it's, a, it's an awe and a reverence of this is the spoken word of God who created all, created all of this, and he has spoke to me through scripture. And it's a trembling before that saying, I'm going to submit my life to this. And that takes humility, Right? That takes humility to read this and be like, I don't like some of the things I say in here, but I think I'm going to defer to God's judgment to follow him. See, but notice something about these three. Humble, contrite, trembling at God's word. None of them are task-oriented. Right? Like a task, like open 64 doors for people. This is whom I will look upon. Those who open every single door for the person that they're in front of. Like Midwest Nice, you know, you know, maybe we'll run like 50 yards to get to the door because you held it way too long. This is to whom I will look upon. Those who read their Bible every day for one hour and pray. For one hour. This is who I look upon. Those who never get angry at their spouse. This is to who I look upon. The, the child that never disobeys his parents. This is to whom I will look. None of these are just tasks that we can just check off a list. It is a heart posture before God. Right? Because none of those are bad things. Obeying your parents is great. Not lashing out at your spouse is great. Reading your Bible and praying is great. And we would love for it to be task, wouldn't we? Right? We sin. We get angry. We lash out. We get on some stupid websites. We go too far with a significant other. We yell. Right, and, and wouldn't it be nice if we could just do some task to fix that? Just do some things to make ourselves feel a little bit better. 
But here's the thing. When, when we boil it down to, I can just do a task to fix this, it minimizes God. So, so the word atone, so Jesus atoned for us. Atone means to, to fix or to make amends. So, so we've sinned against God. We've sinned before a holy God. And so the question is, how do we atone for that? How do we make amends for that? The only way is through Jesus on the cross. But here's what we do. We minimize the magnitude of, of God, the magnitude of who we've sinned against, and we try to have these small little atonements that we give God to make ourselves feel better. We, we try to make amends for what we've done wrong. And, and, and here's what that boils down to. There's, there's a word for that. When we ourselves try to make atonement, when we, when we do something wrong and we, we try to give these little offerings to God, aside from just turning towards him in a broken, contrite heart, when we say, I'm going to do these things for you, there's a word, it's called legalism. Legalism says, God, here's what I've done for you to make up for this, accept it. That is not a broken and con us trying to make ourselves feel better. And it doesn't give glory to God. It gives glory to ourselves and what we've done. It doesn't say, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God so that no one may boast. It doesn't say no one may boast. It says, I can boast a little bit. Because look at the good I've done. God, look at all the time I've given you. Look at all the time I've spent with you. Look at all the good things I've done for people. Look at all the service. Look at how many, how many times I was self-sacrificial. We have these things that we try to lay before God and lay before others to make atonement, to make amends. And it steals from the glory of God. Trying to clean yourself up before we approach God, is literally the opposite of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And saying, I'm bringing something to you, so would you please accept it? And again, it minimizes the magnitude of God when we do that. But, but maybe your outlet isn't, right? We, we sin, we mess up. Maybe your outlet isn't as much I'm going to try to fix this. Maybe your outlet is just suppression and concealing. If I just don't think about this, if I don't talk about this, it'll just go away. And then with that, you actually may be getting cycles of sin because you're just trying to numb it. You're trying to ignore it. You don't actually deal with it. You don't, you don't bring it to the light. You don't bring others in to let Jesus speak into that. And you stay in this cycle Instead of going before God brokenhearted and say, I want to be done with this, what do I need to do? And he might say that means confessing to a spouse. He might say that means having a conversation with someone to be accountable to you. He might say that means asking for forgiveness, which means humbling yourself. That's what he might say. When you, when you go before him broken and say, I just want to be done. I hate that I'm sinning against you. I hate that I've done this. I hate that I've continued to do this. See, we, we've all probably been in a couple of these camps that, that try to fix up. And maybe you have kind of defaults. Maybe you're a fixer. 
right? You, you, you screw up and you want to fix things, or, or maybe you're a concealer and you just suppress. And maybe this right now describes where your heart is at the current moment. You've been in this cycle of fixing and you just can't do it, and you're tired. Or maybe you're in the cycle of concealing a lot of sin and you're really, really tired. But what these verses say, what Isaiah 66 verse 2 says right here, humble and contrite and trembling at me, it just says, stop trying to suppress, stop trying to fix, and just approach me. Just come to me. I plead. I just want your heart. And when we truly sit in these attributes, sit in these three things that God says about, about those whom he looks upon, we just realize I'm poor in spirit and I can bring nothing to you. And I'm broken by that. And God, I just want to follow you. I just want you. I just want you. And when we sit there and we, we realize that we can't atone, honestly, maybe that makes us feel a little bit helpless, right? Because we like to be able to do stuff. We like to be able to bring things to the table. And for us to sit here and, and look at the magnitude of God, look at who he is, and say, I can't do anything, right? you feel a little helpless, and the gospel says, good. That's the starting place. That's where you need to start is humbling yourself and realize you are helpless apart from me. And God has sent the solution in his son, Jesus Christ, to atone for you once and for all. To atone for you so that you can have relationship with your creator that created you, created every atom, knew you in your mother's womb. He has sent Jesus to die a death on the cross and die and be resurrected so that we might have life in him and we can look at this hope and we can live in that. He has atoned once and for all. He has said it is finished on the cross. But the starting place is realizing you can't do it. We are helpless apart from Jesus. But I would, I would ask and I would say, don't suppress that. Don't suppress that helplessness. What that helplessness does is it actually brings glory to God all the more. And we sit and we just bask in his grace. And we say, I realize I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this, but I have it, and it's beautiful. Holy cow. I get to stand before an infinitely perfect, holy, and upright God. Are you kidding me? Purely by his death on the cross, I just accept that and I walk in new life, and I follow him with humility and brokenness and looking at his word. I get to follow that. I get to be in relationship with my creator that's when the gospel really starts to saturate into our lives. 
and just bleeds out. Then it bleeds out into holy action that comes from our heart posture of saying, I'm just following the Lord. Not a heart posture to atone. Not a heart posture to make yourself feel a little bit better for some sin you had, but a heart posture that the gospel is just so saturated that just bleeds out of your entire being because you can't believe what God has done for you. It's beautiful. So as we go into next year, may may it be a year, may 2022 Be a year marked by a heart posture of repentance and humility. A heart that says, I realize I can bring nothing, but through Jesus I have everything. I have relationship with God. A heart that is quick to repent of sin and ask for forgiveness. And that might mean, likely does mean, bringing other people in on stuff. James 5 says, says, confess your sin so that you may be healed. And, and the reason I love that is it doesn't say that so you may be saved so that you're righteous before the Lord. You're, you're saved and you're righteous when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. But he's saying confess and bring others in so that you may be healed. So that you may walk with me. And that's hard. That is really, really hard really hard. But God said, that is what following me looks like. That is what hope looks like. Acts 7, just to kind of close, I think there's a, there's a person in Acts, his name is Stephen. And I think he embodies these things. And the reason Stephen embodies humble and contrite and trembling God's word is, is what we see is that in Acts 6, the, the widows aren't being served. And, and so the, the apostles say, hey, we need someone to serve the tables. And so Stephen is appointed because he's, he's a, said to be a holy man. He's appointed to do that. And he does it in such a way. He serves, serves widows in such a way where they, they see Jesus through him. And he's actually saving people through that. And so he gets called before the council because they're like, what is going on? And it says when they looked at Stephen, it says they, they looked upon the face and it looked like the face of an angel. And, and then he's before the council and, and he gives one of the longest recorded sermons in Acts. He, he, he walks through the fathers and, and Abraham and how we've got where they're at. And then he actually quotes Isaiah 66 here. He quotes Isaiah 66, and, and he says, God has made all of this. God has created all of this. My hands have created all of this. He, he, he does that quote from verses, verse 1, and he doesn't say the second part of verse 2. What he says is, is the opposite. I love it. He says, you stiff-necked people. You stiff-necked people. You are not seeing Jesus, and you're going to be broken Because of it. You are hearing this. You're hearing the gospel. You're hearing the good news of Jesus. You're hearing all of this, and you're a stiff neck, and you are not humbling yourself before God. He says the opposite of these attributes. And then he would go on to be the the first martyr 
for, for the church that started in Acts. And he, he was killed for that. But, but he was killed because he walked humble and contrite and trembled at God's word and just trembled at him. But now he's with hope because he was not stiff-necked. So when, when we're suppressing, when we're, when we're walking in that posture, not a posture of a, a heart posture of humility, but walking in a heart posture of I know I'm right, God's wrong, I'm mad, or this person's wrong, not slowing down, not letting the gospel saturate our hearts, not seeing the magnificence of God, I think it'd be good to slow down and, and reflect on these three questions. Maybe right after, maybe you sin and this is what you need. You get angry, you lash out, you yell. I, I don't know. Holy Spirit is putting something on your heart right now. Answering these three questions, just what is my heart posture right now? It's the first one. What is just, just assessing that? And it's not even necessarily like when you're, it, this is a genuine assessment with your heart when you're looking at the situations and how you're navigating, what is my heart posture right now? Is it one of humility and contriteness and trembling at God's word, or am I being stiff-necked? Am I not wanting to follow God and follow his way? What is my response to this saying about God and about the gospel? What's my response to this saying about God and about the gospel? Is saying, I'm going to just sit and bask in the grace of God because that is what it's offered me. I am poor in spirit and I can bring nothing to this. Is it saying that or is it saying, no, I, I need to add a little bit to the gospel. I need to make some atonement to feel a little bit better about myself. And we take away from the glory of God rather than just sitting and basking in his glory, in his goodness, in his love, in his faithfulness. What is the response saying about God and about the gospel, what is the response saying about what I think I can do? What is this response right now saying about what I think I can do? How I think I can atone? And just recentering and looking at the, the magnitude of God, and also with that, looking at the magnitude of His love, and letting that drive your response of repentance. Of, of confession, and ultimately pushing you to hope and pushing you to joy in Jesus. That's where your hope lies. Your hope does not lie in these little atonements that we want to give ourselves. Your hope lies in the grace of the gospel. And, and may these questions, as we answer them and, and we dig through them, may they lead to worship of the Lord as we're realigned to his astounding love for us, and that we bring him nothing in, in that he gives us everything. Let me pray for us. God, this is a love that we can't comprehend, and I say we can't comprehend because we just don't see this often in interpersonal relationships here on earth, Right? just not being able to bring absolutely anything to a relationship, and, and, and let alone even just have any connection, but you not only want connection, you want relationship, you love us deeply. 
That's a love that we can't fathom. A love that says, I, I, I'm a creator and I want relationship with my creation. Not only that, they can't do anything for me to atone. I'm going to send my son on the cross and in Jesus, through Jesus, I get relationship with them and I just want them. That's a love that we cannot fathom. It's, it's purely unconditional. Not by any of our own merit. Again, for by grace. May that just saturate on hearts right now. By grace. By grace we've been saved through faith in Jesus so that none of us may boast. God, let that love just saturate on our hearts and, and let, let us walk in, in good deeds. Let us walk in love. Let us get in your word, get in prayer. But let that be driven by a heart that is basking in the grace of the gospel and not trying to make atonement for ourselves, not trying to make amends for ourselves, but just basking in your grace and bringing you glory through that. And we praise you. As we worship, let us just worship from that heart posture of just being amazed by your grace, being amazed by these verses, being amazed by your word, being amazed by your love. Pray all this in your holy name.